0: Chapter Twenty Four of the Red Room by August Strindberg, translated by Ellie Schlesner. recording by William Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four on Sweden. They had arrived at the dessert. The champagne sparkled in the glasses, which reflected the rays of light from the chandelier in Nicholas Falk's dining room. Arvid was greeted on all sides with friendly handshakes, compliments, and congratulations warnings, and advice. Everybody wanted to be present and share in his triumph, for he had had a decided success. Assessor Falk, I'm delighted, said the president of the Board of Payment of Employees' Salaries, nodding to him across the table. I fully appreciate your talent. Arvard tranquilly pocketed the insulting compliment. Why are your poems so melancholy? asked a young beauty on the poet's right. One might almost think you are suffering from an unhappy love affair. "'Assessor Falk, allow me to drink to your health,' said the chief editor of the grey bonnet from the left, stroking his long blonde beard. "'Why don't you write for my paper?' "'I shouldn't think you would print my articles,' replied Arvid. "'I don't see why we shouldn't.' "'Our opinions differ so widely.' "'Oh? That isn't half as bad as you think. One compromises. We have no opinions. "'Your health, Falk?' shouted the excited lundell from the other side of the table your health levi and borg had to hold him otherwise he would have risen and made a speech it was for the first time that lundell was invited to a dinner of this sort and the brilliant assembly and luxurious food and drink intoxicated him but as all the guests were more or less merry he fortunately excited no unpleasant attention arvid falk's heart beat faster at the sight of all these people who had readmitted him to their circle without asking for explanations or apologies it gave him a sense of security to sit on those old chairs which had been a part of the home of his childhood with a feeling of melancholy he recognized the tall table-center which in the old times had only seen daylight once a year but the number of new people distracted him their friendly faces did not deceive him certainly they did not wish him evil but their friendship depended on a combination of circumstances moreover he saw the whole entertainment in the light of a masquerade What mutual interest could possibly form a bond between his uncultured brother and Professor Borg, the man with the great scientific reputation? They were shareholders in the same company. What was the proud captain, Gillenborz, doing here? Had he come for the sake of the dinner? Impossible, even though a man will go a long way for the sake of a good dinner. And the president? The admiral? There must have been invisible ties, strong, unbreakable ties, perhaps. The mirth increased but the laughter was too shrill the lips were overflowing with wit but the wit was biting falk felt ill at ease it seemed to him that his father's eyes were looking angrily at the assembly from the painted canvas which hung over the piano nicholas falk beamed with satisfaction he neither saw nor heard any unpleasantness but he avoided meeting his brother's eyes as much as possible they had not spoken to each other yet for arvid in compliance with levin's instructions had not arrived till after all the guests had been assembled the dinner was approaching its end nicholas made a speech on the stamina and firm resolution which are necessary to accomplish a man's purpose the achievement of financial independence and a good social position these two qualities said the speaker raise a man's self-respect and endow him with that firmness without which his efforts are unavailing at any rate as far as the general good is concerned and the general welfare gentlemen must always be our highest endeavour i have no doubt that if the truth were known it is the ambition of every one here present i drink to the health of all those who have this day honoured my house and i hope that i may often in the future enjoy the same privilege captain gillenborse who was slightly intoxicated replied in a lengthy facetious speech which delivered at a different house before people in a different mood would have been called scandalous he abused the commercial spirit which was spreading and declared that he had plenty of self-respect although he was by no means financially independent he had been obliged this very morning to settle some business of a most disagreeable nature but in spite of this he had sufficient strength of character to be present at the banquet and as far as his social position was concerned it was second to none he felt sure that this was everybody's opinion; for otherwise he would not be sitting at this table, the guest of so charming a host. When he had concluded, the party drew a breath of relief. It was as if the thundercloud had passed over our heads. "Remarked the beauty," and Arvard Falk heartily agreed. There was so much humbug, so much deceit in the atmosphere that Arvard longed to take his leave. These people, who appeared so honest and respectable seemed to be held by an invisible chain at which they tore every now and then with suppressed fury captain gillenborst treated his host with open though facetious contempt he smoked a cigar in the drawing-room generally behaved like a boar and took no notice whatever of the ladies he spat in the fireplace mercilessly criticized oleographs on the walls and loudly expressed his contempt for the mahogany furniture the other gentlemen were indifferent they gave falk the impression they were on duty irritated and upset he left the party unnoticed in the street below stood ollie waiting for him i really didn't think you would come said ollie it's so beautifully light up there what a reason i wish you had been there how is lundell getting on in smart society don't envy him he won't have an easy time if he's going to make his way as a portrait painter but let's talk of something else i have been looking for this evening so as to study the working man at close quarters it will be like a breath of fresh air after these deadly fumes i feel as if i were allowed to take a stroll in the wood after having long been laid up in a hospital i wonder whether i shall be disillusioned the working man is suspicious you will have to be careful is he generous free from pettiness or has the pressure which has lain on him for so long spoiled him you'll be able to see for yourself most things in this world differ from our expectations that's true unfortunately half an hour later they had arrived in the great hall of the working men's union star of the north the place was already crowded arvid's black dress coat did not create a good impression he caught many an unfriendly glance from angry eyes ollie introduced arvid to a tall gaunt man with a face full of passion who seemed to be troubled with an incessant cough joiner erickson that's me said the latter and is this one of those gentlemen who want to put up for election? He doesn't look big enough for that.' "'No, no,' said Ollie. "'He's here for the newspaper.' "'Which newspaper? There are so many different sorts. Perhaps he's come to make fun of us.' "'No, no, nothing of the sort,' said Ollie. "'He's a friend, and he'll do all he can for you.' "'I see. That alters the matter. But I don't trust those gentlemen. One of them live with us.' that is to say we lived in the same house in the white mountains he was the landlord's agent struve was the rascal's name there was a rap with the hammer the chair was taken by an elderly man wheelwright Lofgren, alderman and holder of the meadow La Terras et artibus he had held many offices and acquired a great deal of dramatic routine a certain venerability capable of quelling storms and silencing noisy meetings characterized him His broad face ornamented by side whiskers and a pair of spectacles was framed by a judge's wig the secretary who sat at his side was one of the supernumeraries of the great board of functionaries he wore eyeglasses and expressed with a peasant's grin his dissatisfaction with everything that was said the front bench was filled by the most aristocratic members of the union officers government officials wholesale merchants they supported all loyal resolutions and with their superior parliamentary skill voted against every attempt at reform the secretary read the minutes which the front bench approved next the first item of the agenda was read the preparatory committee would suggest that the workingmen's union star of the north should express the dissatisfaction which every right-thinking citizen must feel in regard to the unlawful movements which under the name of strikes are spreading nearly all over europe is this the pleasure of the union yes yes shouted the front bench mr president called out the joiner from the white mountains who is making so much noise at the back asked the chairman looking over his spectacles with a face which suggested that he would presently have recourse to the cane. nobody is making any noise i am asking for permission to speak who is i master joiner Ericsson? are you a master since when i am a journeyman out of my time I have never had the means to be made free of the city, but I am every bit as skillful as any other master, and I work on my own account. I request the journeyman joiner Ericsson to sit down and stop interfering. Is it the pleasure of the Union to reply to the question in the affirmative? Mr. Chairman. What is the matter? I ask permission to speak. Let me speak, bellowed Ericsson. There was a murmur on the back benches. Erickson's turn to speak journey Erickson, do you spell your name with an x or a z asked the chairman prompted by the secretary the front bench shook with laughter i don't spell gentlemen i discuss said the joiner with blazing eyes i discuss i say if i had the gift of making speeches i should show you that the strikers are right For if masters and principals grow fat because they have nothing to do but to fawn and cringe at levies and similar ceremonies, the working man must pay the piper with his sweat. We know why you won't pay us just wages. It's because we should get the parliamentary vote, and that's what you are afraid of. Mr. Chairman. Captain Vonsporn. Mr. Chairman. Gentlemen. It is much to be regretted that at a meeting of this union, which has a reputation for dignified conduct, Less displayed at the royal wedding, people without the smallest trace of parliamentary tact should be permitted to compromise a respectable society by a shameless and reckless contempt of all seemliness. Believe me, gentlemen, such a thing could never have happened in a country where, from early youth military discipline, conscription, said Erickson to Ollie, had been the rule, where the habit of controlling oneself and others had been acquired, I believe I am expressing the general feeling of the meeting when I say that I hope that such a distressing scene may never again occur amongst us. I say us, for I too am a working man. We all are in the sight of the Eternal, and I say it as a member of this union. The day would be a day of mourning when I should find myself compelled to withdraw the words which I recently uttered at another meeting, it was at the meeting of the national league of promoters of conscriptions the words i have a high opinion of the swedish working man here 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 shouted the crowd does the meeting accept the suggestion of the preparatory committee yes yes shouted the crowd second item at the instigation of several members of the union the preparatory committee submit to the meeting the proposal to collect the sum not exceeding three thousand crowns as a testimonial to the duke of dalsland at his forthcoming confirmation the gift to be an expression of the gratitude of the workingman to the royal family and more especially of his disapproval of those workingmen's disturbances under which the name of commune devastated the french capital mr chairman dr haberfield no it's i erickson i ask permission to say a few words oh well ericsson has permission to speak i merely want to point out that not the working-man but officials lawyers officers conscripts and journalists were to blame for the commune at paris if i had the gift of making speeches i should ask those gentlemen to express their ideas in an album of confessions does the meeting agree with the proposal yes yes shouted the crowd and the clerks began to write and to check and to chatter exactly as they had done at the Parliamentary meetings. "'Are things always managed in this way?' asked Fogg. "'Don't you think it's amusing, sir?' said Erickson. "'It's enough to turn one's hair grey. I call it corruption and treachery. Nothing but meanness and selfishness. There isn't a man amongst them who has the cause really at heart, and therefore the things which must happen will happen.' "'What things?' "'We'll see,' said the joiner, taking Ollie's hand. "'Are you ready?' ''Hold your own ground. You'll be sharply criticized.'' Ollie nodded slyly. Stone mason! Journeyman! Ollie Montanus has announced a lecture on Sweden. The subject is a big one, but if he will promise not to exceed half an hour, we will hear what he has got to say. What do you say, gentlemen?'' ''Hear, hear!'' shouted the crowd. ''If you please, Mr. Montanus.'' Ollie shook himself like a dog about to jump, and threaded his way through the assembly who examined him with curious eyes. The chairman began a brief conversation with the front bench, and the secretary yawned before taking up a newspaper to show the meeting that he, for one, was not going to listen. Ollie stepped on the platform, lowered his heavy eyelids, and moved his jaws, pretending to be speaking. When the room had grown really silent, so silent that everybody could hear what the chairman said to the captain, he began, On Sweden, some points of view. And after a pause, Gentlemen, it might be more than an unfounded supposition to say that the most productive idea and the most vigorous striving of our times is the suppression of short-sighted patriotism, which divides nations and pits them against one another as foes. We have seen the means used to gain this object, namely, international exhibitions and their results, honorary diplomas. The audience looked puzzled. What's he driving at? said ericsson it's rather unexpected but it sounds all right now as in the past sweden marches at the head of civilization she has more than any other nation spread the cosmopolitan ideal and if one may rely on statistics she has attained a great deal exceptionally favourable circumstances have contributed to this result i will examine them shortly and then pass on to lighter subjects such as the form of government the ground tax and so on it's going to be rather long said ericson nudging arvard but he's an amusing chap sweden as everybody knows was originally a german colony and the swedish language which has been preserved fairly pure to our days is neither more nor less than low german and its twelve dialects this circumstance i mean this difficulty of communicating with one another experienced by the provinces has been a powerful factor in counteracting the development of that unhealthy national feeling other fortunate facts have opposed a one-sided german influence which has reached its pinnacle when sweden became a german province under albrecht of mecklenburg the foremost of these facts is the conquest of the danish provinces scania holland bleking behuslan and dalslan sweden's richest provinces are inhabited by danes who speak the language of their country and refuse to acknowledge the swedish rule what in the name of fortune is he getting at is he mad the inhabitants of scania for instance to this day look upon copenhagen as their capital and constitute the opposition in the parliament the same thing applies to the danish gottburg which does not acknowledge stockholm as the capital of the realm an English settlement has sprung up there, and English influence is predominant. These people, the English people, fish in the waters near the coast, and during the winter very nearly all the wholesale trade is in their hands. They return to their own country in the summer, and enjoy their winter profits in the villas in the Scotch Highlands. Very excellent people, though. They have even their own newspaper, in which they command their own actions, without, it must be admitted, blaming those of others. Immigration is another factor of the utmost importance. We have the Finns in the Finnish forests, but we also have them in the capital, where they took refuge when the political situation drove them out of their own country. In all, our more important ironworks, you will find a fair number of Walloons. They came over in the seventeenth century, and to this day speak their broken French. You all know that we owe the new Swedish constitution to a Walloon. Capable people, these Walloons, and very honest what in the name of heaven does it all mean in the reign of king gustavus adolphus a whole cargo of scotch scum landed on our coast and took service in the army they eventually forced their way into the house of knights at the east coast there are many families who cherish traditions of their immigration from Livland and other slavonic provinces and so it is not surprising that we frequently meet here pure tartar types i maintain that the swedish nation is fast becoming denationalized open a book on heraldry and count the swedish names if they exceed twenty five percent you may cut off my nose gentlemen open the directory at random i counted the letter g and of the four hundred names two hundred were foreign what is the cause of this there are many causes but the principal ones are the foreign dynasties and the wars of conquest if one thinks of the scum that has sat on the swedish throne at one time or another one cannot help marvelling that the nation is so loyal to the king the constitutional law that the kings of sweden shall be foreigners is bound to be of greatest assistance in the work of denationalization this has been proved to be a fact i am convinced that the country will gain by its alliance with foreign nations it cannot lose anything because it has nothing to lose the country has no nationality Tegner discovered that in eighteen eleven and short-sightedly bemoaned the fact but his discovery came too late for the race had already been ruined by the constant recruiting for the foolish wars of conquest of the one million men which inhabited the country in the days of gustavus adolphus seventy thousand enlisted and were killed in the wars i do not know for how many charles X, charles XI, eleventh and charles the twelfth were responsible but it is easy to picture the offspring of those who remained behind THE MEN WHOM THE CROWN HAD REJECTED AS UNFIT FOR SERVICE. I REPEAT MY STATEMENT THAT SWEDEN HAS NO NATIONALITY. CAN ANYBODY TELL ME OF ANYTHING SWEDISH IN SWEDEN, EXCEPT HER FURS, PINE-TREES, AND IRON-MINES? AND THE LATTER WILL SOON DISAPPEAR FROM THE MARKET. WHAT IS OUR folklore BUT BAD TRANSLATIONS OF FRENCH, ENGLISH, AND GERMAN BALLADS? WHAT ARE THE NATIONAL COSTUMES, THE DISAPPEARANCE OF WHICH WE SO KEENLY REGRET? other than fragments and tatters of the aristotic medieval costumes in the days of gustavus I, the dalesmen demanded that all those who wore low-cut or many-colored dresses should be punished probably the gay court dress from burgundy had not yet filtered down to the women, but since then the fashion has changed many times tell me of a swedish poem a work of art a piece of music so specifically swedish that it differs from all other not swedish ones Show me a swedish building there isn't one and if there were it would be either bad architecture or built in a foreign style i don't think i'm exaggerating when i maintain that the swedish nation is a stupid conceited slavish envious and uncouth nation and for this reason it is approaching its end and approaching it with great strides a tumult arose in the hall but shouts of charles the Twelfth could be heard above the turmoil gentlemen charles the Twelfth is dead let him sleep until his next jubilee to no one are we more indebted for our denationalization than to him and therefore gentlemen i call for three cheers for charles the twelfth gentlemen long live charles the twelfth i call the meeting to order shouted the chairman is it possible to imagine that a nation can be guilty of a greater piece of folly than to go to foreign nations in order to learn to write poetry what unsurpassable oxen they must have been to walk for sixteen hundred years behind the plough, and never conceived the idea of inventing a song. Then a jolly fellow of the court of Charles Twelfth came along, destroyed the work of denationalization. The literary language, which up to now had been German, was henceforth to be Swedish. Down with the dog, Sternhelm. What was his name? Edward Sternstrom. The chairman's hammer came down on the table with a bang. The disturbance grew. Stop him! Down with the traitor! He's laughing at us! The Swedish nation can scream and brawl. I'm aware of that. They can do nothing else. And as you will not allow me to continue my lecture and discuss the government and the royal copyholds, I will conclude by saying that the servile louts whom I've heard tonight are ripe for the autocracy, which they are sure to get. Believe my words, you will have an absolute monarchy before very long." A push from the back jerked the words of the speaker out of his throat. He clung to the table. An ungrateful race who will not listen to the truth. Kick him out! Tear him to pieces! Ollie was dragged from the platform, but to the last moment, while knocks and blows rained down on him, he yelled like a madman. Long live Charles Twelfth. Down with George Sternhelm! At last Ollie and Arvid were standing in the street. Whatever were you thinking of? asked Falk... "'You must have taken leave of your senses.' "'I believe I had. "'I had learned my speech by heart for the last six weeks. "'I knew to a word what I was going to say, "'but when I stood on the platform "'and saw all those eyes gazing at me, "'it all went to pieces. "'My artificial arguments broke down like a scaffolding. "'The floor underneath my feet gave away, "'and my thoughts became confusion. "'Was it very crazy?' "'Yes, it was bad, "'and the papers will pull you to pieces.' "'That's a pity. I admit it. I thought I was making it all so clear, but it was fun to give it to them for once.' "'You only injured your cause. They'll never let you speak again.' he sighed. "'Why in the name of fortune couldn't you leave Charles Twelfth alone? That was your worst mistake.' "'Don't ask me. I don't know.' "'Do you still love the working man?' asked Falk. "'I pity him for allowing himself to be humbugged by adventures, and I shall never abandon his cause.' for his cause is the burning question of the near future, and all your politics aren't worth a penny in comparison. The two friends were making their way back to old Stockholm, and finally entered a café. It was between nine and ten, and the room was almost empty. A single customer was sitting near the counter. He was reading from a book to a girl who sat beside him doing needlework. It was a pretty domestic scene, but it seemed to make a strong impression on Falk, who started violently and changed color. Someone. "'You are here. Good evening, Beta,' he said, with artificial cordiality, which sat strangely on him, shaking hands with the girl. "'Hello, Falk, old chap,' said Selwyn. "'So you are in the habit of coming here, too. I might have guessed it. You are hardly ever at the Red Room now.' Arvid and Beta exchanged glances. The young girl looked too distinguished for her position. She had a delicate, intelligent face, which betrayed a secret sorrow, and a slender figure, Her movements were full of self-confidence and modesty. Her eyes were set in her face at a slightly upward angle. They seemed to be peering skyward, as if they were anticipating evil to drop down from the clouds. With this exception, they looked as if they were ready to play all the games, which the whim of the moment might dictate. "'How grave you are,' she said to Arvid, and her gaze dropped to her sewing. "'I've been to a grave meeting,' said Arvid, blushing like a girl. "'What were you reading?' I was reading the dedication from False," said Selwyn, stretching out his hand and playing with Beta's needlework. A cloud darkened Arvid's face. The conversation became force and restrained. Ollie sat plunged in meditations, the subject of which must have been suicide. Arvid asked for a paper, and was given the incorruptible. He remembered that he had forgotten to look for the review of his poems. He hastily opened the paper, and on page three he found what he sought. His eyes met neither compliments nor abuse. The article was dictated by genuine and deep interest. The reviewer found Arvid's poetry neither better nor worse than the average, but just as selfish and meaningless. He said that it treated only of the poet's private affairs, of illicit relations, real or fictitious, that it coquetted with little sins, but did not mourn over great ones, that it was no better than the English fashion paper poetry, and he suggested that the author's portrait should have preceded the title page then the poems would have been illustrated these simple truths made a great impression on arvard he had only read the advertisement in the gray bonnet written by struve and the review in the red cap covered by personal friendship he rose with a brief good night are you going already asked beta yes are we going to meet tomorrow yes as usual good night sullen and ollie followed him she's a rare child said Sullen, after they proceeded a little way in silence. I should thank you to be a little more restrained in your criticism. I see. You're in love with her? Yes. I hope you don't mind. Not in the least. I shan't get in your way. And I beg you not to believe any evil of her. Of course I won't. She's been on the stage. How do you know? She never told me that. No, but she told me. One can never trust these little devils too far. Oh, well there's no harm in that i shall take her away from her surroundings as soon as i possibly can our relations are limited to meeting in the Haga park at eight in the morning and drinking the water from the well how sweet and simple do you never take her out to supper i never thought of making such an improper suggestion she would refute it with scorn you are laughing laugh if you like i still have faith in a woman who loves whatever class she may belong to and whatever her past may have been SHE TOLD ME THAT HER LIFE HAD NOT BEEN ABOVE REPROACH, BUT I have PROMISED NEVER TO ASK HER ABOUT HER PASS. IS IT SERIOUS, THEN? YES, IT'S SERIOUS. THAT'S ANOTHER THING. GOOD NIGHT, FALK. ARE YOU COMING WITH ME, OLLIE? GOOD NIGHT. POOR FALK, SAID to OLLIE. NOW IT'S HIS TURN TO GO THROUGH THE MILL, BUT THERE'S NO HELP FOR IT. IT'S LIKE CHANGING ONE'S TEETH. A MAN IS NOT GROWN UP UNTIL HE'S HAD HIS EXPERIENCE. WHAT ABOUT THE GIRL? asked Ollie, merely in order to show a polite interest, for his thoughts were elsewhere. She's all right, in her way. But Falk takes the matter seriously. She does, too, apparently, as long as she sees any prospect of winning him. But unless Falk's quick about it, she will grow tired of waiting, and who knows whether she won't amuse herself meanwhile with somebody else. No, you don't understand these things. A man shouldn't hesitate in a love affair, but grab with both hands, otherwise somebody else will step in and spoil the game have you ever been in love owie i had an affair with one of the servants at home there were consequences and my father turned me out of the house since then i haven't looked at a woman that was nothing very complicated but to be betrayed as it's called that's what hurts i can tell you one must have nerves like the strings of a violin to play that game we shall see what sort of fight falk will make with some men it goes very deep and that's a pity the door is open. Come in, Owie. I hope the beds are properly made, so that you will lie softly. But you must excuse my old bed-maker. She cannot shake up the feather-beds. Her fingers are weak. Don't you see? And the pillow, I'm afraid, may be hard and lumpy. They had climbed the stairs, and were entering the studio. It smells damp, as if the servant had aired the room or scrubbed it. You are laughing at yourself. There can be no more scrubbing. You have no longer a floor. Haven't I? Ah, that makes a difference but what has become of it has it been used for fuel there's nothing for it then but to lie down on our mother earth or rubbish or whatever it may be they lay down in their clothes on the floor packing having made a kind of bed for themselves of pieces of canvas and old newspapers and push cases filled with sketches underneath their heads ollie struck a match produced a tallow candle from his trousers pocket and put it on the floor beside him a faint gleam flickered through the huge bare studio passionately resisting the volumes of darkness which tried to pour in through the colossal windows. "'It's cold to-night,' said Ollie, opening a greasy book. "'Cold? Oh, no! There are only twenty degrees of frost outside, and thirty in here, because we are so high up. What's the time, I wonder?' "'I believe St. John's just struck one.' "'St. John's? They have no clock. They are so poor that they had the pawn it.' There was a long pause, which was finally broken by Sullen. "'What are you reading, Ollie?' never mind never mind haven't you better be more civil seeing that you are my guest an old cookery book which i borrowed from yegberg douche you did do let's read it i've only had a cup of coffee and three glasses of water today what would you like asked ollie turning over the leaves would you like some fish do you know what a mayonnaise is mayonnaise no read it it sounds good well listen number one thirty nine mayonnaise take some butter flour and a pinch of english mustard and make it into a smooth paste beat it up with a good stock and when boiling add the yolks of a few eggs beat well and let it stand to cool no thank you that's not filling enough oh but that's not all then take a few spoonfuls of fine salad oil vinegar a spoonful of cream some white pepper oh yes i see now it's no good do you want something more substantial try and find toad in the hole it's my favorite dish I can't go on reading do now leave me alone they were silent the candle went out and it was quite dark good night Ali wrap yourself well up or you'll be cold with what I don't know are we having a jolly time I wonder why one doesn't kill oneself when one is so cold because it would be wrong I find it quite interesting to live if only to see what will come of it all in the end. Are your parents alive, Sellen? No, I'm illegitimate. Yours? Yes, but it comes in the same thing. You should be more grateful to Providence, Ollie. One should always be grateful to Providence. I don't quite know why, but I suppose one should. Again there was silence. The next time it was Ollie who broke it. Are you asleep? No, I'm thinking of the statue of Gustavus Adolphus. Would you believe me when I... Aren't you cold? Cold? It's quite warm here. My right foot is frozen. Pull the paint box over you and tuck the brushes round your sides. Then you'll be warmer. Do you really think anybody in the world is as badly off as we are? Badly off? You call us badly off when we have a roof over our heads? Some of the professors at the academy, men who wear three cornered hats and swords now, were much worse off than we are. Professor Lundstrom slept during nearly the whole of April in the theater in the hop-garden there was style in that he had the whole of the left stage-box and he maintains that after one o'clock there wasn't a single stall vacant there was always a good house in the winter and a bad one in the summer good-night i'm going to sleep now selen snored but ollie rose and paced the room up and down until the dawn broke in the east and then day took pity on him and gave him the peace which night had denied him End of chapter 24